1: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Sorry for the delay. We, we just get busy. We actually <laughs> like, do other stuff and write stuff and go to games and uh, sometimes yeah, we had forget a podcast the podcast. Last week too, so. I think it was Dominic Smith. Uh, yeah, that's right. But I think that was, yeah. But we didn't, we, well, we meant to talk around Dominic Smith and Cooper Johnson and got sidetracked. But there's just been too much going on in the last couple of weeks for us to ignore well, it, it any longer. And uh, lots of news in the world of baseball. Two news items today. That definitely made us focus on the podcast. We're going to talk a lot about organizations, comings, goings, where they're headed, which ones are headed in the right and wrong directions today on the Baseball America podcast, and two news items that help us kick off the podcast, JJ. So we're going to talk a lot of Mariners. We're going to talk a lot of Cardinals today. Two organizations certainly perceived differently in the industry and with good reason. Mariners haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. And the Cardinals, only they haven't missed the postseason since 2001. I know they have, but it just feels it's that way. Rare that it's rare. It's rare. And JJ, in 2001, uh, the Mariners won 116 games. One of the great seasons that of we'll all time. Ever see. And not just that, they did it without Griffey, without Randy Johnson, without A Rod. All guys, three, two, one Hall of Famer already, one who will be, and one who had a Hall of Fame career. But A-Rod, whether he gets in or not, who knows. But after jettisoning all three of those players, two of them in trades, one a very, very good trade, one a good trade, and then one for nothing in A-Rod, after that they go to the to the postseason. So, um, but since then, no playoff appearances, only two winning seasons under Jack J. JJ. Jack was our Executive of the Year in 2007, I believe it was. Maybe it was 2007, 2008 when the Brewers broke through, did a great job as scouting director in Milwaukee, and had a, not unique, but increasingly rare background now, J.J., as a general manager whose background was in scouting. He'd been a farm director, but he'd been a scouting director, but an area guy. He was an evaluator. He was an evaluator. He was a talent evaluator, made a general manager. And that put him kind of out of step in today's game. And I don't know if that's the reason that he didn't succeed as a... General manager? Do you think that's the main can an evaluator, can a general manager in 2015 Major League Baseball become a general manager and succeed with their value when their background is almost pure evaluation and not really tied in? Even though Jack had some claim to being an analytics or being open to analytics, it turned out that he really wasn't very open to it. And can you do it the old school way? And succeed in baseball in this day and age.
0: I think you can. I think you're going to see, though, that I mean, what we see is is that there are fewer of those guys who get the opportunity to prove that they can. And
1: that's a good way to put
0: it. uh, The reality is is that you look at Seattle, and this is one of those firings that it's really hard to argue. I he got plenty of time to try to prove that he was you know going to turn it around. He had chances. And at some point, you say, okay, you know what? Look, the reality is is that uh, seven years.
1: It's you a can, long
0: time. You can say that there have been guys who had not turned it around at year seven <laughs> who they did, Dayton Moore. <laughs> but the difference being, though, that if you looked at the Royals at year seven, the Royals at year seven, you clearly said, okay, yes, it's not there yet. If this doesn't work out with Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis and Salvador Perez and all these guys, then, yeah, you're done here. But we're going to give you the time to see if this works out. It's worked out pretty well. They got the best record in the AL. They went to the World Series last year.
1: They're certainly all in for this year. Their their farm system, I wouldn't say, is in shambles.
0: But It's, it's a certainly, third farm system.
1: It's a bottom third farm system right now what they have in Kansas City because they are all in for right now. But the difference
0: between that and Seattle is, is that you look at Seattle right now and... I can't tell you if they're more equipped to win soon or if they're more equipped to try to do a complete rebuild. I don't think they can do a complete rebuild because you can't take this team and rebuild it. You have a lot of money tied up in three guys. If you wanted to turn around tomorrow and trade Nelson Cruz, I think that you could get a good bit for Nelson Cruz. Probably not as much as you probably should be able to right. for a guy having as incredible a season as he's having. A 180 but, ounce plus. But the reason you could get something for Nelson Cruz is, is he's under contract for a few more years at a relatively reasonable amount. If you turn around and said, Robinson Cano, I don't think Robinson Cano's done by any stretch of imagination. But
1: Robinson Cano, he's yours if you're he's a He's a lot harder to trade. He's a lot harder to trade, there's no doubt. You, you have... Twenty-four million dollars per year through twenty-twenty at least. You you
0: beyond. I, yeah, no, it's I think it's beyond. I think mean yeah. it's twenty-twenty-three.
1: I mean, I don't think he's as untradable as say Joey Votto, but he's close. But he's who, close. Is Joe? Who is the most untradable man in baseball? Votto, Pujols. I'd say Pujols because here's the thing: you are still. If you got Votto right
0: now, you are getting Votto at his still. I mean, he's having a monster year this year. Yes. So you still are doing the equation of we're going to really you know we're, this is really going to hurt in the morning but right now i you got to give me another drink i mean it's something where you get the, you're you're thinking that you're going to get a benefit now and it's going to be the pay the pain will be for the next gm down the road
1: polls has been pretty good this year yeah I
0: mean, yes but he's still closer to the end than Votto, and the and the deal still has a long 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 way to go
1: yeah he still has through 2021 which is really hard to believe 30 million dollars in 2021 for polls
0: what I'm saying, though, with this, though, is this, if you look at the Mariners, not that any of these players, you could see if Cano is Robinson Cano next year, Robinson Cano, Felix Hernandez, Nelson Cruz, those are three very good players. That's a core. That should That's have a been
1: core. a core to build a winning team around this year, and they were predicted by a lot of people to be a winning team this year. Hasn't happened. Right. The problem being, though, is, is okay, where do you go from there? That is at
0: least half your payroll, probably, Yeah. on those three guys. And then you say, okay, so where do you go from there? And that's where the problem lies: is is that they don't have Taiwan Walker is a nice, you know, he's solid. You, he's looking like the guy you hoped that he would be.
1: Yeah, there's certainly bumps in the road for him, but between him, Elias, Paxton, you do have some younger pieces to go with Iwakuma and Paxton Felix. Can Paxton be
0: healthy? That's really the question. That's that. right,
1: well, that's why you need right. depth. Their farm system has never really been about. Depth, JJ. That's just not something they've built uh, over the years. There, one of the bigger issues. I mean, like the Cano contract. I actually thought like last year they got more than their money's worth out of mm-hmm. Robbie Cano, and this
0: unfortunately didn't help them that much because it was
1: they got they got close they got close, in third they got place. close. And, yeah. it, and and unfortunately for them, you know, made them think they were probably closer than they really were. You know, that's that's probably and but,
0: but even then the the move that they made out of that was Nelson a move agrees. that you
1: can't say has been anything but outstanding. Two of the biggest issues in Jack's tenure there have been when they've drafted really high, they've whiffed. And Dustin Ackley and Danny Hultzen, two players we saw a lot of here in the triangle area, both ACC guys. Dustin Ackley, I think, is the only college player I ever went up to at the end of his career and thanked him for his career because he was so much fun to watch for three years at North Carolina. He just They whiffed on that. Uh, the second
0: and the, up, and the funny thing is that is I can't tell you where the whiff there was was that on the scouting, was that on the player development, was that on both? I don't know. I don't know, JJ. I, 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 that one baffled me. Danny Holson, Danny Holson Exactly. You Danny Holson, that I would say that's a whiff on the scouting, in right. that the concerns of what ended up happening with him. I mean, I remember we were sitting in the you know, in our radio studio that we did the MLB Network show we used to do. Yeah. You had gone to see Danny Holtz and you come in and go, He's the most crossfire top pitching prospect. Like this is Kyle Sleep, but take it up a notch.
1: That's it. I mean I mean I, I I knew all about him, I knew he was good. I'd seen him before, I did not remember him being as crossfire as he was late in his junior season. And all I know is the 2009 draft was a tough draft, but Dustin Ackley was a career 420 hitter, the college level. We yeah. with the old bats who ran and that year hit 22 home runs after not hitting home runs his first two right. seasons. He was a slam dunk consensus guy, and even though he didn't work out, Kyle Seager, who they drafted in the third round that year, 82nd overall, has given you production right. very You've almost close. almost
0: equaled what you hope to get out of, out That's of your right. number one pick.
1: So that didn't help him, but it didn't ruin him. But Danny Hultson they need that guy. And the 2011 draft, J.J., was an epic pitching draft. Garrett Cole. I mean, Trevor Bauer was our college player of the year that year. Uh, Archie Bradley and Dale, Dylan Bundy went that year. Oh, yeah, and Jose way. Fernandez went 15th in that draft. And I know there's more. Robert Stevenson, Robert and Taylor Guerrero is a great high school draft. I mean, Guerrero's coming slowly, but he's still coming around. Um, that was a great pitching draft. And the Mariners picked second in that draft. And that was the last draft where you could spend – Whatever you wanted. There were no restrictions and That's a what, lot and it was, of teams. It was
0: the, it was the draft the teams went, okay. You know this what I want to say. Last, it was
1: yeah. the Wild West draft. Yeah, I mean, shoot them up. You could do whatever you wanted. There was no rules in that draft, basically. And, and there were teams where it was like, you get
0: $250,000. You
1: get $250,000. The, the Pirates spent $13 million on two players, Cole and Josh Bell. And the Nationals spent a ton of money in these. drafts. Uh, the, the Royals were
0: handing out like if you were a promising college pitch, oh, high school yeah. pitcher who was going to college, they
1: wanted to sign you. And even if you didn't want a pitcher in that draft, you could have taken Anthony Rendon who was in the mix to go second overall in that year draft. Started drafted. They had the shortstop Francisco Lindor. There's a so there's George Springer on the again. And these
0: are the guys at the top. These are not guys who you would say, again, Sonny Gray, by the way, was in that draft as well. Right,
1: Joe Ross was in that draft. There's a lot of good big league pitching in that draft. And they took just about the only pitcher in this draft class in the first round, other than, like, Tyler Anderson. Uh,
0: No, there was some pitcher. Jed Bradley. Jed Bradley hasn't
1: worked out. Okay, I missed those two lefties right in the middle. Thank you. But at the top... Dylan Bundy, I know he's not anything right now, but he got to the big leagues in one but, year. But
0: also, with Dylan Bundy, again, I would say with that, that, again, that's much like you take Dustin Ackley, it doesn't work out. You need to figure out what went wrong, but you can't say it that can't be faulted we went, it. everyone else zigged, we zagged, and we thought we were smarter than everyone else, and we weren't. No, that's a, everyone thinks that this is, when Dustin Ackley was picked, everyone went, well, I absolutely understand that.
1: And yeah. when, Dustin, when, when, when Danny Hultzen went number two overall, we were stunned. I think Danny Holtz was stunned. The industry was surprised. Not that he wasn't good. He was highly regarded. But in that draft, with all that pitching, he was not seen as the number two overall guy. And there just were a couple of other misses like that in the draft. In the last couple of years, J.J., uh, Alex all, Jackson's I mean, again, off to I can't a very explain. bad start.
0: Alex Jackson, again, Alex Jackson does yeah. fit in the Dustin Ackley mold.
1: He does. You're right. In that, and he's so early in his
0: career that you, you do hope that it will – It'll get, but you know, that this is a blip, not a long-term trend. Right. But it is shocking that Alex Jackson was as bad as he was in the Midwest League. Because if you are talking about designing the high school position player who should be able to go in his Correct. first full year to the Midwest League and handle it, Alex Jackson, who played in a as good a level of competition as you're going to face yeah. in high school and played in so many showcases for so many years.
1: Two-time Under Armour All-American. No, He should have been no This is not a prepared. guy who
0: goes, they're throwing 95. What do so, I do? This is a guy who's seen 95 for years. He's seen 90-plus all the time. Right. And this year is just quite simply a very disappointing year. DJ Peterson, who they took in the first round the year before that, has had
1: just a, a downright... Bad he's, year. He, he's even, he's he's come along a little in the second half, but it's just not, these are guys who were drafted for their bat and to be quick movers, and and neither has done it.
0: Sec, you go second round, you go Austin Wilson, Gareth Morgan, and that's, we, we, we just should not talk about that. It's no, not, it's better
1: left high. unsaid. Um, the point is, like you know, Holtz was number four on the B.A. draft board that year in 2011. I will be, ha- I'm happy to report that one and two were uh, Garrett Cole at uh, three, Dylan Bundy at two, Anthony Rendon at one. Jim
0: Callis,
1: Jim Callis, Jim always loved Anthony Rendon, and uh, all of us did cover the college yeah. preview issue that year. But um, that that looks good in retrospect. But just that they had taken uh, Daniel Norris, a uh, number sixteen on that list, also. Yeah, those are always fun to look at. Hey, Sonny Gray was twelve. Yeah, you know Sonny Gray's an ace within their division. So those those some of those misses. I think the other thing that really stands out to me, JJ, about the original question I asked you, is that specifically Seattle. Very few cities, other than uh, the Silicon Valley and San Francisco area in California, are more associated with 21st century tech boom mm-hmm. in the last two decades. It could be called the Seattle, Seattle.
0: Amazon.coms. So, I mean, you know, right?
1: They're, they're, I mean, Microsoft, Amazon; these are two of the most successful companies in America in the last 25 years. So I always think of Seattle as a technological, a high tech city, and yet. So a city that is ahead of the game. Even musically, they were ahead of the game for a while. But then you have Bill Bavasi and Jack Zarensik as your last two general managers. They've really been behind the curve in terms of the direction baseball has gone in. And in contrast, you have the Cardinals. As traditional as any organization, as much history as any organization outside the Yankees. And yet, they went from Walt Jockety... Uh, you know, traditional traditional that's, that's GM traditional goes. to John Mozelak, and it was a little acrimonious. And the whole reason they did it was they decided, you know, this scouting, of farm director, Jeff Luno, and this data, the way that he's doing things, this is helping our major, our entire organization. And there was friction there, but if we need to go in along, that direction.
0: If they can't get along, then we're going to go.
1: When they didn't get along, ownership chose Luno, in that way. With John Mozeliak, who wasn't like Ludo's puppet or anything, John was in charge, but John married the two sides together. John, to the he, was, he was, he couldn't he quite was do. chosen
0: for that job because he was a guy who had demonstrated. And this That's right. is the new wave. If you said, That's it. I was talking to a scout today and he said, So what is it that teams are really looking for in a GM now? And the way I tried to sum it up is, is, I believe that most teams now, it is not your evaluation skills. I agree. It is not. What it is is... This is true.
1: General manager or scouting director. Right. Right.
0: Scouting director also. And we'll get into that more. But it is what they're looking for. Much more than when you go to a game being able to see a guy and project and all that. They're looking for that person at the top who can take a massive amount of data, a massive amount of reports, a massive amount of information, Mm -hmm. work in a way with communication skills That allows different parts of the organization who may have sometimes diametrically opposed viewpoints. Right. Get them all together and fuse those in a way that you can then have a cohesive direction
1: for the team. And it's not compromising, it's cohesiveness. So you can't make these two sides that might not agree on a player compromise. Sometimes you have to pick one and you're going to pick the other, but they have to be respected, they have to feel respected and listened to. And I think the Cardinals really are the model organization. I, in I say I give
0: I give two. I'll give the Cardinals as far as they're the model organization as far as that. In that they, because they put it all together. Because again, a key part of this is is well, a lot of times you hear about stats and scouts and all that, and how everyone's getting ready. Third key part of that. Well, there's four real key, key components, and this is not even getting into the business side. Let's just right. stay on the baseball side. Right. Because the GM needs to have some. You know, that's not your job, but you you have to be... be,
1: You can't be tone deaf to it. You can't
0: ignore it. Right. But let's just take that out of it. Let's just talk about the baseball side. There's really four main components because there's the analytics, Mm -hmm. there's the scouting, but then there's also the player development, which, again, we have seen even going back to old school, if player development and scouting aren't on the same page... Chaos
1: happens. Like when you hear about the thing, the the guy who's drafted at one position. Oh yeah, we like this guy. We think he could play this position. Then he goes out into pro ball, and he always is he's stuck out in the outfield, and he doesn't even get a chance at the better, quote unquote, higher on the uh, position on, on the scale, the defensive position. And it's like I don't even want to talk about that. That happens every year, even in good organizations. It right. happens.
0: And then you go a step further. Okay, so the fourth component is is then at the major league level, because the major league level is a silo in many mm-hmm. ways, and you see. That the organizations that do it best, that major league or that look, I mean, I think the pirates to me are the ones who do this so well. The pirates, starting with the front office, starting with Neil Huntington, they have figured out a way that their major league coaching staff, their manager, of their coaching staff, there you see that fusion of information. That's right. They are doing. They do an excellent job of saying, this is not we're bringing this guy in and just ignore him. The angels are the opposite end of the spectrum on
1: this. I don't know how you read my crazy it. We've crazy been working together signal, a long time. But you read my little crazy hand signal. I was like, yeah, I couldn't wait to say that. But yes, the opposite of what you just heard. like What Jerry DePoto was rumored to have done to say, here's all this information. Your manager's ignoring it. but I'm going to give it to so-and-so. And you get there and Albert Poole saying, no, we shouldn't do it that way. That would never happen with Clint Hurdle and uh, Neil Huntington. They're all on the same page in Pittsburgh. I mean, the
0: analytics guys are welcomed into, they travel, they do things. They're not considered outsiders. They're part of the same organization. That's the right word. Which really, again, but you have to, so the GM, though, one of their key jobs is to be able to take all these different factions in some ways.
1: Yeah.
0: And everyone's working towards the same goal. And again, there's different ways you can do that because you can do that in a, call it a traditional off you know front office where it's very scouting heavy, but you're still using the analytics, but it's in a scouting bent. Or you can do it in a very analytics heavy, right. but you know what? We take the scouting and fuse it with that. But if you have that breakdown where you don't have everyone working on the same page.
1: It's really hard to have success as a front office that way. You don't have a cohesive team in a lot of ways. I think Boston's a perfect example of that, JJ. I, I think, where
0: I was gonna say, I think if you look at Boston, the difference between how it worked, because I do think if we talked about the Cardinals are the model. If you were picking the GM who's the model, I know he's not that's not his title now, right? But Theo Epstein has done this very, very well at two different no doubt, you know, in two different cities. But the problem that we had, you know, if we go to the, the Ben Sherrington firing, I'll kick this to you, but it does seem like. That what happened is, is that there ended up being a disconnect in that there at some point along the way, it, it feels like that the analytics and the, the fusion was not there as much as it needed to be.
1: I think that's exactly what happened in Boston under Ben Charrington. And it's amazing because he was part of the, uh, you know, he played at the college level, but there was this analytics part that, bent that he brought to it. But he was the farm director mm-hmm. for a long time there before he became the general manager. And to see him, kind of, and to hear everything, and to read everything he'd written about it, uh, it almost—it almost, it almost feels like they, they went very analytics-heavy, almost in reaction to the troubled contracts that he had to jettison in 2012. But like, you know, I think the analytics and the scouting side both loved Adrian Gonzalez. But I think the, the Carl Crawford signing—that was not an analytics signing. That was a. That free agency move was made from the, the scouts. loved right. They went one way and then it didn't work out. Right, And, and the same thing were... with the John Lackey signing, which didn't work out mm-hmm. that, that first year. The scouts loved that. So the next year, he's like, well, the, I think it was a little overreaction. And, and it, the thing about this is that
0: it did go a step further. It did work in some ways briefly.
1: Right. And in 2013, for reasons I think the Red Sox are still trying to figure out some of those move the move the same kind of things that didn't work in but 2014 they all all those players I mean, worked you know in 2013 what the I
0: will say though, the difference in 2013 and 2014 is, is the 2013 moves that worked were all with I can't think of an exception lower cost moves
1: yeah there were shorter term moves i mean like Mike Napoli short, uh, Shane Victorino Johnny Guns all those there were a lot of money but they were short term moves as opposed to Crawford uh, and Adrian Gonzalez are both giant. Or go
0: step now to this year and as opposed to Panda and
1: Hanley Ramirez. And that's the thing, there's a, there's not a lot of continuity in the kind of moves the Red Sox made over those years. I guess the continuity is they spent a lot of money, but the out the the length of contracts, um, for a guy who won a World Series and pulled off this pretty epically historical t- trade with jettisoning jettisoning Beckett, Gonzalez and Crawford to the Dodgers like he did it's surprising that, and when you look at that, that Ben Charrington didn't last longer. Uh, but but I, I think that that disconnect and the fact that he wasn't able to fuse those scouting and uh, analytic sides together effectively is the reason that he's not there. And then for again, but, for the, Boston, but the, the other
0: thing with that is that in Boston, you're you are going to have Jack Renzi got seven years, right? Winning a title in Boston now, which again, we've right. how far we've come. Ten years ago, winning true. a title gives you. Well, actually, in Theo's case, though, it didn't give you a lifetime contract. But, you know, because he faced some...
1: Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And he had already quit once before.
0: Right. But it did give you... You like, now winning a title surrounded by three last-place finishes
1: is not enough. I do think if he wins in Chicago... And I'm almost about... I was very tempted to say win. They win in Chicago. But if they win in Chicago... I don't think he'll ever be let go <laughs> and if he doesn't want I'll to. I'll put it this way. If he, uh, if he wins I, in Chicago, he should just about, go into politics. If
0: we talk about Dave Dombrowski, like Dave Dombrowski is one of the biggest free agents on the market when the Tigers let him go. If Theo ever hit the free agent market, if he wins in Chicago, that's bigger.
1: You know, there's. I was talking about this with Teddy Cahill earlier today about the writing that's been done over the last year or so about how big league executives are underpaid. And Teddy was talking about an advocate for that side. So I don't know enough about it, frankly. I haven't really looked into it to see whether it's underpaid or underpaid. It certainly seems to be a consensus that front office guys are underpaid. Theo would not be the guy who would be underpaid. If he were a free agent, that bidding would be higher than it would be probably for any player in baseball right now. Maybe not, not Maybe not higher. That,
0: again, because the problem is, is that...
1: It's still harder to find the player who's right. that I mean,
0: that would be so much breaking the record. I but mean, if he
1: ended the Cubs... Uh drought, oh, I, I know he would be and the Red Sox. And he's young this way. He there's no projection
0: there just. But uh, if you said that he could be the first ten million dollar guy or something like that, absolutely. But to, to plate you know but
1: I think somebody's probably making ten million, some executive probably is when you're a part owner of the club like Billy Bean is Well yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing is that I don't no one's making ten equity. million as far as contract. I follow But you. there
0: is equity, you know, yeah, okay. Maybe the Rays just it didn't say, you just, hit, here's your
1: team. <laughs> exactly. Here's the franchise. <laughs> Rance, We're out. Like He goes, oh, I, you know, this sounds, you know. That's it. It's That's going it. about
0: going back really old school when the GM was the owner of the team.
1: Well, or, or, or to Charlie Fidley, or to, I guess, in football, to Jerry Jones. Are yeah. there other NFL teams other than Jerry Jones that are I mean, like no, that? No, I mean,
0: really, before that, it was like uh, Mike, I mean, it was uh, Paul Brown and uh, George Alice. I mean, that, you got to go back that far, pretty much.
1: I didn't realize that uh, that Jerry Jones was that rare. I guess I, th- I thought there were more egomaniacs in NFL. Uh, uh, Jerry,
0: Jerry stands alone.
1: Well, we've mentioned a couple of these front office changes. JJ, you touched on Detroit. That took people by surprise when Dave Dombrowski left. It does seem like he set that franchise up for a, re- a quicker rebuild. I would just say like when he was sent the boot in the B.A. parlance, you also had Miguel Cabrera on the DL at that time, and people were like, oh, man, what if he's in the decline? And Justin Verlander's contract looked like a nightmare. Exactly. Just a month later, they had a lot of prospects that they really needed mm-hmm. at the deadline. Verlander just misses a no-hitter the other day. Cabrera's like hitting 500 since he came off the DL. Things suddenly look a little bit rosier there. and well, not, Ver- not only did Verlander throw almost a no-hitter, but Verlander's been... Justin Verlander. That's it. The velocity is back. When he's hitting 80, 96 in the eighth inning, he's not in danger. Oh, I remember that. He's not in danger of turning into his former Team USA teammate, Jared Weaver. I, I knew you were going you there. You knew I was going there as well. Um, so Detroit's rebuild looks like it shouldn't take as much time. Seattle's, go back to that. Whoever the general manager is, J.J., well, that's a tougher one because you can't tear down when you have Felix... And Cano to these long term deals. Not only Felix
0: and Cano, but Felix Cano and Cruz who and are in the peak. I mean Seeker's a hundred million dollar contract, Seeger. forgot. Yeah. I mean you've got four guys who are your peak guys and they're at their peak right now. So if you tear down, well then you're well, I mean what are you tearing down for? You're you're not gonna have a better pitcher come up than you've got in Felix right now. I mean, you've got your ace. You've got you you got Nelson Cruz. No one's having I mean, I know he's not in the MVP race, but He's having one of the three best seasons in the American League this year.
1: Yeah, he's having like a – I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic it's year. It is. If, they were, but, if it was on last year's okay. Mariners team where they were a third-place team but had like 87 wins, he would get a lot of MVP Let, let me MVP go in a votes. different
0: direction with this. How much do you think Seattle is hurt by their ballpark? The, and in some ways, the same way that Colorado is hurt by theirs.
1: Huh. I, don't, I guess I wouldn't think I would put it in the it's same a, category. It's not the same level of because they were certainly able to get Cano. They were able to get a big free agent right. hitter. They but had to overpay is, for him. But. but
0: it is a ballpark that is an extreme ballpark. If you go to the theory of the extreme ballparks on either end, make it tougher to
1: win. tougher to win. Then yes. The the, the, the thing is, they won 116 games there. No, I know. I, I guess I I don't. I guess I would say I don't ascribe to the theory to that theory. I don't I don't put it in the same category as cores just because i would say that their lack of success has been more due to factors they can control than factors they can't i i just don't believe that you're gonna win when you trade since you for ben broussard and eduardo perez for i mean Adrible cabrera for eduardo perez you just can't do that and when you are in an epic draft like 2011 and you and you get danny holtz and those kind of things i i would say it's more of the the things they could control that has been their problem and their demise and the things they can't control. So to me, that that's not a bad job. I would imagine that you can win there, but it doesn't, but they're not set up for They're in a very awkward spot right now.
0: Uh, I will say with Detroit, though, when you say they're set up...
1: Well, I wouldn't say they're set up. They just look better now no, than a month I'll, ago.
0: But uh, they do. They look better a month now than a month ago.
1: Who would you, Which job would you rather have? I now think that is a more Detroit?
0: difficult job, though, because... There, I mean,
1: for one, the good news is is you have an owner who is very willing to spend. That's, that, that is a huge difference in, is the ownership of the two franchises. However, you, if
0: I'm choosing as a GM, I have one that demonstrated that I can go seven years <laughs> and they'll give me a chance. Good point. I have another where we were one of the favorites to win the World Series last year. Had a very good year and less than a full season later, I'm gone. Yeah, that's true. I mean, to me, the problem you have in Detroit is is that you are not going to have a soft landing there. Correct. It is going to, when the cliff hits, you're going to hit it. It's going to be a long fall because what's going to happen in Detroit, unless something changes, is is there is not, okay, you know what? We're looking for 2018. Right. It's going to be, no, we're looking for 16. Well, what does that make, mean you're going to have to do? You're going to have to make moves, which, understandably, you've got Miguel Cabrera. Right. You've got... You know, you, Verlander. You've, you've got Verlander. You've got, you've got pieces where you say, okay, we're trying to win now. But the problem with that is, is that Miguel Cabrera is going to have a nice, steady, slow decline because he's one of the all-time greats. The all-time greats usually don't fall off a cliff. Right. Like the guys, you know, you expect him to go further longer than you would your solid so, good player.
1: Say Alan Craig.
0: Right, <laughs>
1: who falls? Who so fell off a cliff. That's right. But
0: But that being said, you never are going to have that point where you can go to the ownership and go, okay? Look, I know Miguel Cabrera is still an excellent player. I know he is, but if we can get him to agree to a deal, I think we're better off trading him now. And yes, we're going to take a hit this year, but it'll make us really much better two to three years down the road. That's not happening there, right? And so instead, and with all that, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to say. Is the next? You think the 2016 or 17 team can be better than the 2014 Tigers?
1: I don't. Uh, no. I think it'd be very, very difficult. I don't. Um, and if that's reason. the case,
0: I mean, that's again, that's a job where the expectations are very high. You're
1: basically looking for like Victor Martinez and the two players we mentioned before, Cabrera and, and Verlander, to at least have major bou- bounce back seasons for JD Martinez to keep doing what he's doing. And then, you know, it's a pitching staff that used to be the strength of the organization. But Annabelle Sanchez needs to bounce back. You need Daniel Norris to really come through. It's a small margin. I agree.
0: If you want this the job I want, though, it's already been taken. But, you know, hand me that Red Sox job. I know the expectations are high. but
1: Well, that's president can...
0: of baseball operations that's taken. Right, but he's but still taking applications for GM. That's JJ. true. But you can go so many directions there. We know with the president there, who, by the way, is going to make those calls, whether he's yes. not president or not. Yes. But you do know there, though, that you can go, if you want to say, we're all in for 16, which I'm kind of guessing that's what you need to do yes. in Boston. I
1: think in Boston, you're all in for fill-in-the-blank year for every year. Right. Well, that being the case,
0: and again, I don't think this was necessarily a bad thing on Ben Sherrington's part, but Ben Sherrington was, always was trying to look now and in the future. Right. Next year, I think they're going to look now. Uh, we'll If you're Dave Dombrowski,
1: 2021 is not something you're... That's one of the intriguing things that's been written, and I think it bears discussing, because you saw the Greenville Drive team, Uh but the Red Sox do have, I think it's going to be easy to make them our number one farm system ranking when we do the handbook in December, when we finish the handbook in December. Um, So he's got this tremendous farm system. And,
0: and young talent at the big league
1: level, too. Correct. This is, this is a, he's got pieces to work with, not just financial wherewithal to work with. He's had that. But now he has financial wherewithal and a farm system that is deep and talented. And even if their scouts haven't been listened to as much in that organization, they've still done great work because internationally and domestic... Boston's put some real talent also together. Say,
0: being willing to spend money, which they've been... Never
1: hurts. Hard. There's no doubt. But on, the, but on the talent procurement side now, that's harder. That, you can't leverage that as much. Right. Certainly, Moncada they found the way to do it. Yeah. exactly. But Moncada. other than
0: that, like the Devers and but, the Anderson Rafael Devers,
1: right, exactly. Um, Guerra, the shortstop. Javier Guerra. Javier Guerra. Manuel Margot. Those Andrew Benatendi
0: attendees just, you, you pick when you pick,
1: and you will right. you take them. That's right. And, uh, hey, two years ago, they picked seventh overall, and Trey Ball's coming on very slowly. Mm-hmm. This year, they went hitter, and early returns are very positive. So, it's a great farm system. What will he do with that talent? And, J.J., you just saw Greenville, and you were summarily impressed.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, that was, as I wrote last week, it's the best prospect team in the minors right now i really do think uh, i don't think
1: is it jacksonville 2005-ish no. okay
0: not that because really what you're talking about is is when now that kopech's not there like kopech's a solid pitching prospect but he's not like one of the top five pitching prospects in game or anything like that right so when you see greenville right now depending on how the lineup set up that night it's really something where okay they come up to bat and then moncada leads off, leads off and then you could say so you're gonna have Mancada, you're gonna have Devers, you're gonna have Shavis, who's a solid prospect, but not in that same group. You're gonna have Benintendi, and you're gonna have Javier. So it's really a five guy, I mean that's that's excellent.
1: That's five really good guys. That's
0: five really good guys, but it's not that same. It's not, and really, to be honest, it's not what we've seen at its absolute best. Like if you compared that to Chattanooga at the start of the year.
1: Chattanooga is gonna be right in the running for minor league team of the year, no doubt. When you had
0: Buxton Sano Kepler. I mean yeah, that's that's and, and Berrios and, and Adam Walker. Walker.
1: That was and, and uh Polanco, Jorge Polanco. Right. That was better.
0: That start of the season is better than what the Greenville Drive are now.
1: Two thousand five uh Jacksonville Suns, that is uh my pick for the best prospect team since I've been here. Uh, included, and, the, and all of these guys didn't all work out, the big leaguers, Tony Abreu, Chad Billingsley, Jonathan Broxton, Joel Guzman, Joel Hanrahan, Eric Hull, Edwin Jackson, Hong Chi Kuo, Andy Leroge, James Loney, Russell Martin, Russ Mitchell, Beltran Perez, Justin Ruggiano, Eric Stultz, Derek Thompson, Delwin Young. That's a lot of big leaguers. Yeah, that's double a, lot of big a. Leaguers, But I'll say Russ that Russ Martin is like the only like I will star that's level player. Not,
0: I was going to say we this Chattanooga team this year is going to be better than
1: that because it didn't include Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp was a half right. step behind them.
0: But it, that team, I is agree. Not, that Chattanooga team is going to be better than that. I mean, Sano, Sano <laughs> and Buxton, and then again you throw in a Kepler, you throw in a Barrios, you throw in a Polanco. You throw, I mean, that's.
1: I yeah. agree. No, I agree. But, uh, but no,
0: that Greenville team though. You look at that. We look at. We, we can't gush enough about Anderson Espinosa, who's yes. only in the GCL. He's only 17. But as we said, I wrote in a chat today. If you said, okay, line up the 10 most valuable
1: trade commodities.
0: in the minors right now. Who'd you put one? Urias? Julio Urias. I'd say Gialita. I know he's, I know he's older, but with a pitcher who, you know.
1: Yeah, I'll just take lefty. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I'd I'd think both him. of
0: those are,
1: you know... I think Urias is so rare. I think I'd go Julio Urias. I think I, I, think I would rank Giolito above him for ranking pitching prospects. But, but Uri, Urias is just like... He's just like that, uh, that albino humpback breaching off the... <laughs> he's just so rare. No, I don't he think is. We, uh, we'll see someone else like Giolito. We may not see Urias but, again. But Espinosa,
0: it fits in that discussion. Because yes. even
1: as young as he is... The
0: reality is, is that with a pitcher, when you're not projecting, you're not with him. You're not looking at him and saying, "Correct." When he gets to no, you're saying, "You could pick him up." You're not going to do it with a 17 year old, but stuff wise, feel wise, if you picked him up right now and put him in high A, I would be just. I think it'd be just as likely that he'd dominate a start as you get. You know, as I thought you were going to say if you
1: picked him up and put him in the Red Sox bullpen right now, he would hold his own. No, I would yeah, say one that or that's two possible. innings, you know, use the say, right way, go out,
0: throw, throw, hard. but. If you he wouldn't were, do that to a
1: guy, but yeah. But if he were a Rule Five draft pick, if they had to protect him and you wanted to Rule Five him for 2016 to you get to another JJ Bailiwick, yes, you, you could. Say, you could. He would be like yes, just the way the Johan Santana. Hey, one year we used him for uh, 60 to 100 innings, whatever he pitched for the Twins, and the next year we unleashed his fury upon the land. Right. That's Anderson I, the, Espinoza.
0: The thing to me with Espinoza is Espinoza will probably go to Greenville next year as a just turned 18 year old. Right. I expect he'll probably be too good for that level.
1: I I agree. From based on everything we've heard about him, and the, the the only thing like the biggest thing you have to worry about it feels like for the Red Sox, besides the fact that he's a pitcher, and
0: could you know, <laughs> and he just could blow up. You know, you know, Dylan Bundy. When we we're talking about Dylan Bundy, when that uh, after the right. draft, we would say if you send him, we expect him to go to low A. There's really and like, I expect that he will be too good for that exactly. level. exactly. That's like
1: there's Spinal Tap drummer, and then just above that is pitcher pitching yes. prospect. You know, um. But that's why maybe he wouldn't be one of the top ten.
0: But I will tell you this. If someone said, hey, okay, who do we want from the Red Sox?
1: I think he's at the top of the list. I mean, him versus Yom Mankata is a really interesting discussion of which prospect you'd rather have. Um, I don't know what the answer to that is. <laughs> I really don't know who whom I would First rather would have. It's going be a
0: very fun top ten because, again, and I, I mean, I'm a— I'm an Andrew Benatende believer. I mean, I, I very much am.
1: But There's no reason he's given us yet to not believe in him aside from the fact that he looks like a bat boy. But that hasn't stopped Trey Turner, so uh, making it a Trey first Turner looks star. more
0: like a bat boy than Andrew Benatendi. Facially,
1: yeah. certainly. Trey Turner, I mean, I,
0: I do expect it someday, you know, one of the best guys in baseball, but I do expect someday we're going to read a story in like the Washington Post like,
1: Turner, had trouble getting
0: into the clubhouse yeah, today. It's you know, you know, yeah, it's got to happen.
1: He looked too young. Yeah, getting his first start tonight in Washington at second base, I'm excited about that. Um, JJ, the other organizations that are making these big changes we wanted to discuss were Milwaukee and Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, Jerry Krasnick had a really nice article on ESPN the other day, obviously a longtime BA correspondent, about how a lot of people see the Phillies as a gold mine and that finally, belatedly, Ruben Amaro made some nice deals. They actually got prospects for Chase Utley, which was really surprising. They've got a goldmine television contract. Fan base that awoke and, you know, for five, six, seven years was one of the best fan bases in baseball. And if you give back to winning, you know new, they'll respond. you
0: ballpark that has all the revenue that you want from it.
1: Absolutely. Um, which job would you rather have there, Philadelphia or Milwaukee? Something like Milwaukee, that's just that it's a small market. But what a difficult division. Go uh, ahead and go head-to-head head with the Cubs, Pirates, but especially the Cubs and Cardinals. Forget give, give it.
0: Me, give me Philadelphia because... Ten times out of ten. Right. I mean, the reality is, is that I, I think the Brewers' farm system is vastly improved over what it's been. Those are both but, top, but we're top we're ten farm systems. But we're partly on a curve. But we're partly grading on a curve because yeah. the Brewers' farm system has been so bad that it stands out when you go, wow, this is, this is pretty good now.
1: But these are both top ten farm systems for me. Mm-hmm. I think the, the Brewers' system's a little bit ahead. Although, if I had to take one player out of either one, I would take J.P. Crawford. I'd take
0: J.P. Crawford. And when you go to that full top ten, I mean, I think there's more top hundred guys in the Phillies.
1: Hmm. Maybe i have to go back and look at it. I I mean, Nick
0: Williams is a top hundred guy. Yeah. You know, Jorge Alfaro. Has been
1: a top hundred guy. He's been a
0: top hundred guy. I think he's still fringe. You know, you want to see, in an ideal world, he's back for the Arizona Fall League. And you go, hey, he's looking, he's moving fine and all that. But Jorge Alfaro, Jake Thompson. Yeah. You know, um,
1: Cornelius Randolph. Cornelius Randolph is off to a very intriguing start. I mean, if he winds up being the purest hitter out of this draft class, no, it would Sean. not surprise me. Absolutely. And you compare that to the Brewers. Orlando Hmm. Um, or am I getting the... Yeah, it's yeah. Orlando. I yeah. get my Arcias mixed them. up. Yeah, I, I get them mixed up. I mean, I, I don't remember who I had next on that per, on that redone Brewers top Tyron top Taylor? Tour. No, he wasn't What's Two that? It was somebody else.
0: Well, they drafted this year. Their first pick was um, Trent Clark, right?
1: Yeah, Trent Clark was up there. Trent
0: Clark is a, to me like Trent Clark and Cornelius Randolph both fit in the same range, you know of.
1: Yeah, they're they're similar. Randolph's
0: a better pure bat. Clark is, does a lot more things.
1: I would agree that more top one hundred guys. Off the top of my head, I would say Phillies have more sure things. Definitely top fifty, top seventy five, top guys, type guys. And that's after graduating Michael oh, Franco. The way, you
0: have to did Phillips, by the way. Phillips was number two. Right, right, Phillips was number
1: two. That's who it was. And then you're also mixing in, you, the Phillies are going to lose Aaron Nola. Right. So, but, I mean. The, but, those, you, but if
0: you're a GM, you're not losing him. He's right. I'm lost. just saying for a, yeah, for, yeah
1: but, uh, absolutely. That's but a good I, point. I think,
0: but that made me, so I'm like, you know, the, I, I do think the Phillies have finally. And the, the Phillies also have had some positives at the big league level as far as young guys. They've actually, what they found found is, this, you know what? The crazy thing about this is, is playing the young guys doesn't necessarily hurt us compared to playing the take your pick on the aging thirty-five-year-old veteran of a choice.
1: That's that is one of the more that was one of the weirdest things uh, I saw on the web the last week or two. Like I, the only the only old veteran guys that are worth playing are the really good makeup guys, and so that's Jeff Francoeur, <laughs> and they were getting criticized in some quarters for playing Jeff Francoeur. That's the only guy they that makes sense there. JJ, they also had, uh, and this goes back to your SBA, they also had a, a fine um, Rule 5 pickup this year. So it's, a, it's amazing how the Phillies, I, I don't know how else to say it, for several years, they just said that they could do nothing right. They did a lot of things yes. wrong. But this year, it feels like most of the things they've done, they big picture wise, have accepted, been the right things. They
0: finally accepted that we're not winning and.
1: So they don't have a new general manager yet, or even a need for a new general manager yet. They have a GM right now, and Ruben Amaro, it feels like it's a fait accompli that the new club president, Andy McPhail, will let him go at the end of the year and find a replacement. But I guess it sounds like now it's not 100% of a sure thing. I don't know what you're feeling on Has Ruben Amaro done enough where if you were Andy McPhail that he'd save his job? Or would you still I'd make still a i still want to know
0: what I can get. I really would. I'd want to know what's out there, you know, and because I think there are a lot of really good candidates out there, too. That takes me back, though. This is where I wanted to go. Make sure we got it before we wrap okay. up. I think we both talked to some scouts today, you know, because Randy Flores was named the Cardinal Scouting Director, yes. which he's the Cardinals. He fits every bit the Cardinals' M.O. when they hire a Scouting Director in that,
1: you know, he's a little different in that he's a former big league player. Right. Not a, Not a, there, I don't believe there's anything in his job resume that says the word scout next to it and he was a college he, assistant coach so he probably recruited a right. little bit he had he has done some
0: evaluation at some point probably of some sort but it's very much and again this is the new model the new model for many teams is that the scouting director is not necessarily the old model for scouting director and let's start we were talking about amateur scouting director yeah. basically we're talking about the person to to simplify to make sure that we everyone understands where we're going we're talking about the person who their job is to run the draft. Now, That's right. When you get to the first round pick,
1: are they making that pick all on their own with no input from the GM and all? No, absolutely not. You always cases. love those stories where they're like, on the morning of the draft, they're headed in one direction, and then the general manager or the owner pokes their head and says, hey, you're really good at drafting this kind of player. Hey, we would really like a college pitcher. Or hey, please right. don't draft the player those represented don't by this player. Go well, those never. Uh, those are those. That, that's a big obstacle that's thrown in when a we sky talk director's way. That
0: is confusion.
1: That's right. But, very well said. But your sky director, your job is to line up that board. Mm-hmm. And that the way. How do you line up that board? You hire your cross checkers. You have your special assignment guys. You help guys. determine who sees who, what players when they see them. And then you have to collect all that information yeah. to line up that draft board and which has all those other concerns and it, assignability, organizational uh, needs, desires, uh, direction an organization wants to go in, all those things to line up that all that information that goes in that board. So it's I think it's always been an information job, but the amount of information has gone from a thimble to like, a, you know, M- Niagara, Niagara Falls. Falls. Yeah. It's
0: We've worked together too. Yes, years. we have. But, um, but no. The thing that jumps out with it is, is the used to be, the career track was this: you That's played, right. at least the college level. Right. Ideally, you were at least a minor leaguer. Maybe you made it to the big leagues. Usually not a long time big leaguer. but right. Usually a minor league career long enough that someone caught you, caught the eye of someone, who, a scout or a coach who took you under the wing and said, you know what. We we think you should have a job in the game once your playing career is over. Right. Then you went to become an area scout, you know, or maybe you even started out as a bird dog somewhere, but you were, you know, or a coach somewhere, and yeah. then you became an area scout. Yeah. And as an area scout, you learned really kind of the basics of evaluating and how to set up a region, line up your own board as far as your area. That's right. Write good reports, evaluate, and then if you did that well, you moved up. You became a cross checker. And as the cross-checker, your job was to go around the country, see the top guys, help basically line up the big board, you know, help the scouting director line up the big board. And if you showed that, man, this guy really is good at when he sees guys, he sees things, he's a really good evaluator, then you would move up from that and boom, you became the scouting right. director. Right. That has been blown up now. That, that and it's not the- Randy Flores. Over the last 10 years, we've seen that become less and less the case of Absolutely. what scouting directors, what teams are looking for when they hire a scouting director.
1: The guys who, and there was this large influx of college coaches who in the early 1990s, college coaching paid no money anymore. And mm-hmm. All men's sports got cut 10% with their budgets. And a lot of those guys, whether there, like Stan Meek, I think Grady Fuson was involved. He may have come earlier from college coaching. Joe Jordan. There was the an influx of those kind of people going from college coaching which, to scouting. Which makes sense and then because there's directors. a lot
0: of similarities to those jobs between Absolutely. lining up a recruiting, who you're recruiting, you're recruiting scholarship budget, you had limited exactly. resources. There are some similarities between doing that and scouting.
1: That's Absolutely. And uh, there were a lot of similarities and it made sense. So for a while there, those were, that, that was really like most of where your scouting directors came from. They were guys who... Or there are play, ex-players who became scouts and worked their way up that way. Or there are players or scouts who've also been college coaches, and then they go into scouting. And again, the, the job is that was, was the similar. traditional plan. But again, the, as the information has become more sophisticated and so much higher in volume, I do think, in general, JJ, I think you have to be more sophisticated to handle all those different streams of information. And here's the reality. It doesn't mean that you can't do it if you were an area scout. I think that today's area scouts do take into account different kinds of data. But maybe the area guy who was an area guy 20 years ago didn't. Not all of them, but some of them.
0: But here's the reality. What it comes down to is, is that if you're the Cardinals, you look at your drafting under, I mean, again, let's go back four scouting directors now, you know, Right. You're scouting. You're 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 drafting under Mazzalac, under Lunau. You know, Perea, You know, was a very brief. You know. Yeah. Period of time. You know, but uh, you look at it now. Um, I'm skipping one there, aren't I?
1: Uh, Dan Katravitz was yes, there for three Tantruvitz, years. Yeah,
0: for three years. But it's worked very well for them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that, that
0: is not. You look at you, you look at how the uh, the Astros have done it, and it's worked out very well for them no doubt i mean they've had some hits and misses but overall you can't say that teams who have gone the non traditional way of hiring a scouting director have had success and what's interesting about that is, is that there's no
1: doubt not all of them but a lot of su- a lot of those guys have had a lot of success
0: and so what's interesting with that though is, is that i mean we both talked to area scouts who today who kind of said what does this mean for me
1: right and i understand, How? like that that's my career. if that's my career goal that career goal looks further away today when you are a guy who's trying to grind through it. And it's disheartening. It is. And then you see a guy who played in the big leagues and was a great college pitcher, good, useful big league relief pitcher, but then does broadcasting for a couple of years. Yeah, did a one year, of co- uh, half a year, I think it was, of coaching at USC as alma mater. And then you see him go from that to being a scouting director. But, so I understand why it is disheartening for them. I will say... For, what, for the way St. Louis does it, A, I wouldn't want to change a thing with the way I draft. Mm-hmm. It's working for them. And B, Randy checks pretty much every box. Mm-hmm. And he actually probably comes into that organization with more credibility than Jeff Luno did when he came into it. Or than most of their guys that come into you it. you made the
0: point, that the other thing that stands out is, is that... Because But you are talking about an organization, though, also, that they do not need... A guy to come in, you know what? We need that evaluator who can line up the top of our board. Right. They've got those guys. They need the guy who can listen to those guys, they, add in some things, but really, again, fuse the information. They
1: clearly trust the guys who are doing the evaluating because they hired Correa, Chris Correa to be their scouting director and to run this draft. And Chris's background was math analytics. He had been brought in by Jeff Luno into their analytics department. He'd done some scouting. At the big league level, and then see their own their right. own guys. And let's be honest, to anyone, see who, some,
0: anyone who does this right, whether their background is is they got an internship and then they moved into the front office and all that, the smart guys doing that are going. It's not like they're not going out and seeing games, but exactly. It's not, but it's not the same background as a guy who I've spent 15 years and I have a in my right. a mental Rolodex in my head of
1: 25,000 guys. And let's face it, the skills that it takes to be an area scout, I think, do train you to be. A scouting director, I think it's a temperament thing, but the skills of being an area scout, of organizing your area, lining players up, you're getting, you're setting up your prep list, but also learning to communicate with. There's a lot of different people you have to communicate with. There's travel ball coaches, parents, players, college coaches, advisors. There's a lot of different kinds mm-hmm. of constituencies you're dealing with as an area scout, which is similar to what a scouting director has to do. So I understand the job descriptions are different, do I think being an area scout trains you to be a scouting director? I do think it does, but I think there are other ways to be a scouting director, and that's what the industry seems to be and leading to. So I feel for the area guy who looks at today's news and thinks the ceiling for me as a, in this profession is limited. And I do think in general, J.J., there's going to be more and more of a trend where you see the Brad Weitzels and Craig Bells at Florida, Andy Cannizzaro at LSU – the money in college baseball is becoming so significant thinking so you can see more and more talented scouts see this kind of news, and then they have a better chance to have a better life. And let's be being honest, being college coaches than being if, scouts.
0: If, when you say like, it really comes down to, you know, I talked to one, I, I you know, I, I talked to an area scout today who made the point and said, "Look, you know, sorry, you know, he's like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. If you told me." That I'm going to go to baseball games and evaluate for the next 40 years. Sign me up. That's right. But understandably, there's also a lot of people in the game who look at it and say, I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but I want to advance. And the reality of it is, is that it's not the door is closed, but whereas 15 years ago, if you were an area scout, you'd say, okay, area scout, pro scout, cross checker, scouting director, or pro scouting director, whatever... Now you do look at it and go, okay, really, is my aspiration
1: to be a special assistant? Being a a, a scout is a very different job now than it was 15 years ago, but also 15 years ago, there were no, there were very few scouting directors whose background was in analytics. If there was one, I can't tell you off the top of my head, you know, John Mosaylock was a scouting director 15 years ago. I wouldn't say his background was necessarily analytics, but it wasn't area scouting either. Um, And there were lots of pro scouts. And they were paid pretty well. That was what you... That was, that one was really thing. the
0: aspiration for a lot of people. Like, if exactly. I'm not going to become
1: a director... There were only 30 scouting director jobs. At that time, there were 30. There were only 30 of those jobs. There were a lot more pro scouting directors. I mean, pro scouting jobs. Those were more attainable and more realistic jobs, uh, something to aspire to. Mm-hmm. You area scouted for 15, 20 years, then you kind of had that soft landing as a pro scout. You know, that's... Those, those jobs are going away. Replaced by analytics in a lot of ways. And video. And video. And the marriage of those two, which is what Randy Flores did with On Deck Digital. And then you see scouting directors. That jobs that is just – there are fewer of those jobs available to people with your background. So it's going to be be – so I can see the discouragement.
0: There's going to be fewer – I mean, the reality is is there's going to probably be fewer jobs uh, on the evaluation side, period, just because, again – Right. I'm not putting a value judgment right or wrong, but the reality is is that there's so much more out there now. Nowadays, if you are, uh, again, let's take it back 15, 20 years. 15, 20 years ago, if you wanted to evaluate a guy, you literally had to get on a plane, go
1: (laughs) see him. And if you didn't, there was nothing. Put it this way, when a Cuban player comes over now, and of course the situation in Cuba is becoming more and more fluid, but when Andy Morales came around in 1999, you didn't have much to go on. And when the Yankees signed him to a $4 billion contract or $8 million, or whatever it was, it was basically off a workout. And mm-hmm. They didn't have much to go off. When you sign you on Moncada now for a lot more money, it cost them, what, $63 million? So yeah, 60, yeah,
0: 63 So,
1: But the Red Sox had so much more information to go off of than they now, used to. Now. Not to mention the older Cuban players, like if Uleski Guriel got out and became a free agent.
0: Now. If you're talking about okay, so like let's say they're having they're setting up you know our pre-board you know like we're just even getting on the names you know right now. Adjusting when we're talking about the guys who are going to be the premium yeah, guys, Jason Groom, Riley, Riley Pint, guys like that. Right now, sitting at any desk in any front office, you can see really good video. We
1: probably have more video of those guys right now than say the Pittsburgh Pirates had in 2002. They're trying to decide Melvin Upton Jr. or are we going to take Brian Bullington? Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably and have to way saying. more.
0: And so, what happens with that? Go a step further, okay. Pro scouts, 15 years ago, some of your job was really a stenographer job. You needed to do more than that, but a lot of it was, if we don't have someone go to Peoria, and see these guys, we don't even know what they've got. If right. we don't have a, if we don't have a team in that league. So That's some right. of it was turning in the report and going, this guy's 90-92. This guy's 88-80. This guy's got a really good curveball. Nowadays, with that, you click a button, and it's like, where's all our trackman data we have That's, right.
1: That? That's you know, right. What's
0: his exit speeds on these guys? Okay, do you say that guy's got power? Well, yeah, he's averaging 95.2 on his... Yeah, absolutely, he has bat exactly. speed or something because he's really driving the ball. Those things are all now... Again, they're very easy to acquire, but also what's difficult now is this, okay, but everyone has that.
1: Yeah, the quantifiables, it used to be the Pro Scout and the Amateur Scout's job were to go gather these measurables, mm-hmm. to measure and, me- and, and gather and the measurable information. they
0: had beyond that, but that was a big part of the job. That was a
1: huge part of the job. It wasn't all of it, but it was a huge part of the job, and now I just feel like the, the lion's share of that job is getting to know the player. Getting to know the makeup as much as possible. And that's harder and to also do in the process. Seeing side.
0: what they're doing differently
1: and saying, you know what? How this they're doing it. Not this just what be... they're doing, but how they're doing it and how that can be helped and how that's going to translate. And that's a harder job. So there are fewer of those jobs, I feel, to go out They're around. Tougher. tougher jobs and there's less chance for advancement. They're fewer jobs,
0: they're tougher. And not only that, but. Very you tough may, job. But not only that, but. And again, I can't imagine how frustrating it's going to be that you are out there doing this. Living a life that essentially in many ways is, is okay, again, they signed up for it. But during the your season, you are away a lot. You a lot. are alone a lot. All yes. that. And now, you can sometimes, you turn it in, and then someone in the front office who is going home to their house every night. That's right. Goes... Eh, you know, we actually, you know, but looking at this data and all this, you know, we, you know, no, I, I disagree. His
1: his uh, his walk rate's too low for us even right. to consider in the first five rounds.
0: Right, and again, they may be right even sometime, but it's not the easiest time in many ways to be a uh, an it's, evaluator. In
1: some ways, if you're an area scout, it's like it's never been easier. You can find all the schedules at the drop of a hat. Uh, or the click of a mouse, I suppose I should say, or the swipe of a of, a, of a phone. You and have two
0: text messages to check on the you know, whereas exactly. before trying to get the high school coach on hey, the who's phone. Exactly. You know, to go, are you all still okay today? Or you know, he, oh we got and now it's a it's you just two have the weather app,
1: now. exactly. oh you have your weather app of whether there's gonna be rain yeah. that day or not and whether I should go there or not. And when you are on the road, yeah, you're on the road a lot, but you could take all the movies or all the entertainment you want with you. And satellite radio in the car, and all these kind of things. And you don't have to know where all the pay phones are on your route.
0: And also, by the way, getting to the game, you know,
1: you type it in your
0: GPS. Exactly. All that. Those things are. And oh, yeah, by the way, and also throw in that, and you get to see your guys that you're in your area against top competition because they're at, you
1: know, you're not just seeing code,
0: PG, all these things.
1: That's right. You're not just seeing a guy like the White Sox did with Tim Anderson, the rare exception to this. You're not just seeing him against JUCO competition and evaluating him off how he look, how does his swing look off this 82 mile an hour fastball he was facing. That's why Tim Anderson's success is so interesting because he's almost like a relic mm-hmm. kind of player. But most of the time, it's oh, I saw him have all these swings against Groom last summer, mm-hmm. and we really think that. You know, they, they, this guy can hit because I saw him uh, turn on one from Pint last year at Under Armour. Any of these kind of things. So, in some ways, it's a lot easier. But in some and all these other ways, it's a lot harder job than it used to be. And I think that's reflected in the fact that. Um, uh, well, I thought reflected. One of the ways is how much harder it is to rise up the ranks. Uh, being an area, being an area scout, JJ. It's uh, two of their biggest career goals: being in a front office or being a pro scout. Those are much harder jobs yeah. to get these days. That's for sure. So this was a, I didn't expect this to be the direction we went in, but, but I think I'm was, always I mean, pleasantly surprised. That was a good one. Again, I think it is, you know, it is worth noting because
0: we hear a lot of people, Hey, you know, I want to get into the gang. I mean, these are oh, also yeah. some of the things like that you need to be aware of. I mean, Hey, the other thing about that is, is that for good and bad nowadays, if you're listening to this podcast and you go, I want to, I want to scout. I want to, you know, they're, 20 years ago, sorry, buddy, that's probably not going to happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, that. And nowadays
0: you go, no, that is actually a realistic goal. Now, does it mean that you're probably going to have to intern as your, as a video guy for five years, you know, living in a shoebox and yes, ramen? Yes, it does. Yes. But gonna, and, if and you are lucky, that- you can get from that to become an area scout or a pro scout, and then the bad news is, is that then that's what you're probably going to do for a long time.
1: Doing, doing that in Arizona probably during a fall league or in the summer Arizona League, uh, doing that in scout school. Which, uh, if you did, if you missed it, it's too late probably. But do you think it's very intriguing that uh, the Major League Scouting Bureau doing a, basically a, uh, consumers scout school mm-hmm. this fall at basically nine hundred dollars a pop, and as we were trying to decide whether we were going to send someone to it, filled up. Mm-hmm. So those jobs are in demand. People seeing the game from a scouting and player development point of view, is growing. But those jobs are becoming less and less frequent. So, uh, good stuff, JJ. I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, I know on Sunday we're going to go see Blake Snell next week. Oh, I'm going. I told already told the wife I'm going. (laughs) Next week, I believe is when we will actually have to pick (laughs) our minor league player of the year. So the next podcast may be the minor league player of the year podcast. Um, So that's exciting. Uh, As usual, if you have questions for us, you can hit us both up on Twitter. He's at JJCoop36. I'm a John Manuel BA. And until the next time, so long, everybody.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get
1: it. Every time.